welcome to the State Support Team 11 podcast. I'm your host, Eric Neal. Today, we are joined by Aaron Lanou. Aaron is an inclusive education coach, presenter, and a previous guest on the podcast. Welcome back, Aaron. How are you today? Thanks so much, Eric. I'm doing well. I'm uh, extra excited to talk to you because I just got my tickets to Columbus, actually. Yeah, really looking forward to that. It's great to have you on again. Um, the last time you were on, we talked about changing mindsets to create better learning environments for students, and especially those who are neurodivergent. Um, today, you're here to discuss universal design for learning, something near and dear to my heart. Um, mm. What is UDL for those that may not have heard of it? Yeah, um, UDL has really changed the way I think about um, teaching and education. And, and I like to, to think about it as really just a completely different approach to planning and teaching and like how we do school and one that can really like transform the way we think about education and the way that we we teach students and the way that students can learn. Um, and because it's a sort of like a different approach, it represents a, a big shift. I, I sometimes think it's helpful to start by thinking about like the current approach, like what we're used to, um, how we're familiar with with current planning and teaching. And though this is like really reductionist, this is really over oversimplifying things, you might think of like, you know, a typical process of like, okay, well, I got this thing to teach, a skill, this concept. How am I going to show it to kids? Um, what are they going to do to practice it? And then how am I going to assess for it? Right. Um, and if you want to, you know, like an example, like let's talk specifics, like let's say it's a uh, high school, you know, earth science class. And you're talking about plate tectonics, the way that like the earth's plates move and interact and cause earthquakes and all those kinds of things. Like a typical way might be to like show a picture of the different ways that these plates kind of interact and, and, and define these three different terms of like convergent and divergent and transform, uh, which are the different ways they sort of like bump into each other. And then students like practice some problems and they, they practice some, you know, examples and make some connections and write some things about it. And then there's like a quiz and it has vocabulary and, you know, a couple short answer questions, maybe an essay. And um, the analogy I, I like to share when you think about that, you know, again, oversimplified, but but basic way of, of thinking about teaching is is like we're basically in this um, this dark forest with our students and we've got this very powerful flashlight and we and we shine the beam of the flashlight straight ahead to show this path of that students can 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 take to to reach some goal you know to show them the way through and and the hope is often that like students can do that they can find their way along this path and we've we've shown them the way um and and many students can do that 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 path works for them but the problem is that like that path has you know let's just say if we're going with this analogy there's like roots that some students might trip on or like it's big rock and many students can scale it but some students can't and um there's like a wooden plank to get over like a marsh that they have to balance on and some people can't do that and all these are like barriers that affect some kids differently than others um and so that path that one path isn't going to work for everyone and so we have to get another little flashlight and be like oh well you can go this way and so i'm going to hold the main flashlight but i got this other little flashlight for you you can go that way there's no roots on that path to trip on. And then you get another kid, the roots weren't a problem, but that plank was too narrow and they don't have good bounce. So you get another flashlight and you like put it in your teeth and you show the flashlight another way. Oh, there's no, there's no, um, there's a wider plank there to walk on. And basically that's what we end up having to do in teaching is like, we teach one way, 
some kids aren't able to 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 do what we expect them to do and we have to change it and give them a modification and adapt things and create new materials sort of after the fact when we realize that that isn't working for everyone and instead what i like to think about udl as being is sort of like at the beginning we have that flashlight and we're like shining it down the this one path in the forest is to, you know, on a flashlight, sometimes you can like take the top of it and kind of like um, rotate it a little bit and mm -hmm. the beam gets a little broader instead of just being super narrow and focused. That broad beam illuminates all the paths. So now we can see that main path ahead that we were expecting all students to go on. But you can also see that one over there without the roots. And you can see that one over to the left that doesn't have the big rock and the one with the wider plank. And students can now have a, a choice of which path to take all to get to the same place all get to the same goal, but that they can decide what works for them. And they have options that don't have barriers that are just going to get in the way of them being able to learn and connect. Um, so if we go back to that plate tectonics example, a UDL approach might, you know, is going to encourage us to teach it differently. So we might like not just show that visual, but do something with a gesture in our hands to show how these like, you know, these plates are interacting with each other. And we might come up with some like linguistic or verbal catchy way to talk about like convergent, divergent, you know, make that kind of connection for kids. So again, students have different ways to access the content. And we also assess students differently. So instead of just that like quiz with the essay, maybe some students would be more comfortable sharing their knowledge through a Google slide deck or like acting out a demonstration with some of their peers. Um, not just because it's fun, but because it's going to be a better way for them to actually like demonstrate what they've learned. And, and all the while, we also like engage students differently in the process. So um, we have really intentional ways of getting kids to connect to the content. So if you're in a like really rural area and it's Springtime, you might be talking about that frozen lake that's starting to melt and how these like kind of sheets of ice are bumping into each other. Maybe that's an image that really like resonates if there's like a pond in the center of town. But if that's not going to cut it in New York City. So kids often don't have that sort of like visual context and that experience. And so we might want to be using an analogy that's more like, you know, when you get on the six train at rush hour and you're brushing by people, you bump into them and that's like converging and you move away from that smelly guy, that's diverging, right? So you find some way to connect and engage students that's relevant to them, that that's connected to their experience and their prior knowledge. Um, and, and that is a UDL approach, that broad flashlight that shows all the different paths and all the different sort of multiple ways that students can learn and engage and be assessed, um, that they have an option to sort of think through and, and choose what would work best for them. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. And I, I love that you kind of highlighted that a lot of people in education, they want a thing like, tell me what to do. And I'm going yeah. to do this thing. And it's going to then solve all my problems. And, you know, I've always thought of UDL. Um, one, one thing I talk to my colleagues about all the time is I say, it's not so much a, a strategy or, a, or I mean, it's sort of a framework in a way, but really it's more mm. of a lifestyle. It's it's more of a way mm. of thinking and a way that you approach things more than it is this thing to do. Yeah, I, I love that idea of it as, a, as a lifestyle. I mean, teachers are used to approach framework, but lifestyle really does kind of uh, challenge you to like, oh, I've got to like readjust 
how I see the world, right? Um, yeah. Which it, it sort of is without it being daunting, without it being like super overwhelming and like, wait, I've been teaching for so long. I've got to rethink everything I do. Like, no, you've got people have a lot of right foundational knowledge yeah. that still applies, but it is a, it does signify a real shift in how you think of your role as a teacher and think of what a student's job in the classroom is. Absolutely. So what are some of the key concepts of UDL? Yeah, um, there's a lot of ways that I hear people talk about it and a lot of ways to sort of slice and dice it. And it is a, a really like thorough and thoughtful uh, framework. Um, and you definitely have to talk about like the three main principles. But before you talk about the principles, um, I think there's like a one main sort of um, analogy or, or sort of story I like to talk about that, that doesn't apply just to UDL, but applies to um, teaching in general. And I, in my work in inclusive ed specifically, that um, I call the kid in context. And the idea is um, when, when we see a student struggling for whatever reason, it could be an academic thing um, or something that's quote unquote behavioral, though that's a loaded term itself. Um, but if a kid is struggling, we, we often jump to like assumptions that the the challenge is like sort of within the child, within the kid, within the student, like it's their not fault per se, but it's something that they need to change. And so like, you know, this kid can't sit still. You can't pay attention for five minutes. Um, you know, he needs a different setting. He needs a paraprofessional with him. Um, what, what that ignores is um, all the elements of the context that are at play with that student that sort of are, um, intersecting with why that child might be struggling. So like, if a child can't sit still, is there something in the physical environment that is like making it hard for them to like, maybe not be able to have their body um, be regulated in a particular way? Is there something in the, um, right, like the content or the language demands that's overwhelming that is causing a child to have a hard time? Is there something in the like, let's say cultural norms of that classroom or of that school that are a mismatch for that student that that are are maybe not at the sole root of, but are like playing a role in why that child's having a hard time. And so what I like to say is that any challenge that happens in school arises in the intersection of the kid and the context. Yes, a kid might have sort of a different like skill level or um, right um, ability to regulate potentially, but that's always going to be an interplay with what's going on around them, the context, the language, the demands, the environment. And, and UDL really does encourage us to problematize the context, like look at the design of our spaces and the design of our learning experiences so that a kid who's struggling isn't, it's not that kid's fault. There's probably something that we missed in the design of our lesson um, that could have been the thing that allowed that kid to be successful. Yeah, um, I, I love that thought. And, you know, it, it. we kind of touched on this in the, the previous time you came on the podcast too, where mm -hmm. there's this thought that there's a one right way of doing things and that, you know, this the, the way we, we approach things, just you sit in the rows and I stand up here and talk and then you write the stuff down and then now everyone's yep. learning. Um, is the right way and then anything different than that is something that you're doing that is different or not as good and you know UDL really hits me as this this optimistic like asset-based approach that is is saying there's nothing um, standard or there's nothing like 
right about one way of doing things that it's it's more of these multiple approaches to give everyone the best opportunity to learn in the way that makes sense to them. And it, it really is a shift in mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that, that it, it, it is a strengths-based or asset-based sort of approach. It doesn't um, look at challenges students face as a flaw or an impairment right um uh, that's 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 individual to the to the to the child as we were talking about and it is though we've talked about it being this like lifestyle change and this big shift and that can be overwhelming to folks it is really empowering to to teachers i think to if you learn about it and and, and sort of really grapple with it to see how much influence you have as an educator to change things so that it can reach kids in a different way and of course it's anytime you change something it's hard Anytime you try something new, it's hard. Anytime you're trying to, you know, um, uh, uh, let's say like plan a lesson with, with that has more sort of elements to it than you would have done otherwise, that's a little hard. Um, and there's always that sort of mountain to get over, that, that hump to get over. But I think in my experience, it's really worth um, worth that, that effort. And I think a lot of it comes from... Um, you asked about the concepts that underlie UDL and there's, there's a couple other like really key thoughts that I really, really like that I think help um, make UDL something you almost like can't argue with, so to speak. Yeah. Like, like one of the core things in UDL is the idea of learner variability. And so um, there's a million great examples. There's a great Todd Rose book and video uh, yeah. about, right? Yeah, you know. Jagged about, learning about, profile. Yeah, exactly. That. That, like all learners just are different they just are and this isn't like everyone needs their own individual lesson plan um kind of you know style of, of talking about difference it just is a recognition that we learn differently we take in information differently uh, we process differently and so even two students like with the same like measured iq if we're going to use that as a metric can have these like as you said jagged learning profiles right with very different like strengths and 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 support needs and and that links very much to another concept of the idea of barriers, which is really central in UDL. Um, and the recognition that like school is designed a certain way and it's been designed that way by certain people for certain people. And that's something we could get into too about who those people are and who is excluded in the in the design of school. But, but the way that school is designed, this sit down in rows and listen and then write the thing and that's how you show you're successful, that that design creates barriers for students who don't naturally sort of operate, learn, process that way. Um, and the assumption that like kids can sit for X amount of time and listen and just process verbal information and, you know, um, regurgitate information either verbally or in written form. Um, th th that's what knowledge is. And that's what learning is, is, is one view of learning. And it's a very narrow view of learning and it excludes a lot of people. Um, and so UDL challenges us to, remove those barriers that we put up ourselves by expecting this very rigid way of doing school. Yeah. And um, something else that while you're talking that kind of popped into my head, I was thinking um, that that old way of doing things is not even what people are asking for anymore. You know, you hear a lot of talk about mm -hmm. soft skills or, or these 21st century skills or things that, you know, the modern employers are looking for from all people and it really is about um, self-directing and collaboration and being able to communicate and do all these things, which UDL offers so many more opportunities to practice and yeah. develop. 
yeah. um, become an expert learner, which is the the real you know end goal of, of all of this. And yeah. it's it, so it, it's not even just you know, well, this is a different way you could look at it, or this is good for students with disabilities. This is really good for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it is true that, that though, you know, this gets into some deep stuff about what our conception of uh, the ultimate goal of education is too, and whether it is to, right, produce worker bees and right. the market is demanding that the worker bees, you know, now act this way. That's a, that's a whole thing to grapple with too. Sure but is. if we do recognize that to, to, um, to be able to be whatever that means in our, in this, let's just narrow it to like American, you know, society. Um, most sort of places people will find themselves after being in K-12 do require collaboration and negotiation and um, brainstorming and problem solving and things like that, that you're right, that aren't part of the sit down, listen, um, take it all in, study and, and regurgitate sort of model. But again, I recognize this oversimplistic. That's not how most teachers teach. That's sort of just this, right? Like black right. and white, the right? Uh, sort of image. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Um, but but what I what I like about again that idea of UDL being an empowering framework is that obviously design is in the title of Universal Design for Learning, and it really like shows educators that that teachers are designers and that we can design our environments and design our instruction differently and we can do that in a way that has more people in mind and the design choices we make are either going to create opportunities for students and again not just students with disabilities all kinds of students um they're either going to create opportunities or they're going to potentially put up barriers that make that learning experience um more challenging and so that it is it is a sort of um call to action but it is empowering to to know that you know you as a teacher um have that ability to to kind of guide um how successful students are able to be absolutely and um, you know it makes me think about it i've run across uh, some confusion or people who um think about well you know, UDL that's that's something for special education or something like that or they get confused about the difference be in similarities between UDL and uh differentiation you know what do you really mm -hmm. see as the kind of the similarities and differences when you're talking about those two things yeah yeah I think it's it's a really common question I think some of that comes from the fact that um there's a little, you know, initiation fatigue that happens in education land, like, oh, last year it was this, and this year it's this, and what letters are we going to be, you know, studying this year? And that's a little unfortunate, because I think people burn out from learning something that could be new. It's also unfortunate in how it's rolled out sometimes, very top down. Um, so I think some of that comes from that confusion, like, oh, we already learned this thing. This sounds just like this other thing we had to do 10 years ago. Right. But I think some of the, that that sort of um, conflation comes from the fact that there there are a lot of similarities with UDL and differentiated instruction, and um, both are ways to you know reach more learners than might be met by a traditional way of teaching. Um, they offer you know supports um, to, to students who might not be able to access instruction in a particular way. Um, but but as I see it, there's um probably like three main things that set them apart, and those come down to like. Um, like when is this thing used and who is it for and also who decides when this thing gets used. Mm -hmm. So like differentiated instruction 
again, this is an oversimplification, but differentiated instruction can often be sort of reactive or responsive mm -hmm. and very individual. So like after a teacher sees like an individual kid or a couple kids struggling, we put some supports in place or some scaffolds in place for a future lesson. And the teacher decides like, oh, I think they need a different graphic organizer or some sentence starters. Um, and if you go back to that like flashlight story, that's like the, oh, I've got to shine the beam over here and I've got to yep. do another one over here. And now I have this kid over there. I've got to show a new path. And um, and it's not, right? It's sometimes an individual students, sometimes it's, it's small groups of students, but it's very, yeah, reactive to yeah. a student struggle. UDL is is by contrast, I think really proactive and again, it's in the name universal. So, you know, this, this decision to like shine this broad beam that has multiple options for all kids that I thought about from the get-go, um, that happens before the lesson. It happens in the design of the lesson. And it's not just for an individual student who you're like, oh, this kid struggled in this assessment or in this last, um, you know, activity. And so we'll, we'll make a change for them. It's really like, oh, okay, how might someone not be able to access this learning? Let's plan in a way that um, provides all different kinds of kids with all different kinds of, you know, um, needs and ways of, of processing and learning to be able to access it. So um, the other big thing you said that about, uh, right, this self-regulation piece yeah. and helping students become expert learners, that's the other big thing is like who decides. So like instead of the teacher saying like, I'll make another version of this worksheet, um, it's Hey y'all, class, <laughs> here are all these different ways that you can engage, learn, access, show what you've know, what you know. Um, I, I, I'm gonna support you in making a decision that's right for you about which tool to use, which assessment um, you know, makes the most sense for you. Not so it's a free-for-all and just the kids just decide what they're gonna do all the time, but like in a really meaningful, supportive way, yeah. um, so that students can can really um right be empowered. To, to, to understand who they are as learners and, and make informed decisions um, for themselves. Right, and and the other thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's, yeah. it's both, right? It's, yeah. you know, we should be universally designing these things for everyone. And we should also be offering differentiated instruction when appropriate to meet the needs of, of people who still, even though things have been universally designed, still may have some extra supports that are needed to be put in place. Yeah, exactly. It's a really good point. And I don't mean to like bash differentiated instruction in, in naming the differences and, uh, well, you know, or put right. it down. And certainly like individual students have, um, might have individual needs and we want to be responsive to those. And students have IEP goals and we want to, we are obligated to, and, you know, have yeah. a responsibility to support those as well. Um, not saying not to differentiate. Oh, of course. Um, it's just if we can start with a UDL approach, it helps the differentiation be easier and more manageable. Yeah, I love that you you called out those differences, especially you know in it, it, like the way you said it was so clear to me. It was like who it's for, what it's mm -hmm. for, and who's deciding. Like that, exactly. that really is yeah. your progression through uh, being able to kind of understand which is which, and I, I think that will really help clear it up. Um, yeah, some some of that comes from I, I, it's not my work. That uh, there's a um, Eric Moore um, is a author who's written about UDL presenter, and he has this great article um, called I think it's just called like is wait but isn't UDL just dot dot dot? And yeah. he he talks about it contrasting UDL to other frameworks 
Um, and he, he really frames it through an accessibility lens. And his questions he asks are like, for whom to do what and who decides? And yeah. so this is my own version of that, but I, I borrowed that from, from Dr. Moore's work. I love that. So the UDL guidelines, you mentioned those before, um, you know, are foundational hmm. for people when they start to learn about UDL, what it is. Um, you know, what are the guidelines and how do you personally use them? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the UDL guidelines are a, a tool um, to use to help guide the implementation of UDL. Um, UDL is, like I said, really thorough and, and there's a lot of pieces to it. It's very well thought through. Um, but if you're just learning about UDL and you go right to that like sort of three color graphic organizer yeah. table, there's a lot of information there. And you look at that and say, oh, that is UDL. And, and I think the folks at CAST who developed UDL are very clear in sharing it. This is a tool that we've developed that can help you do the, the thinking work and the practice work to implement this um, approach meaningfully. It's not that that is UDL, um, but it's a very, um, as I said, like thorough framework. Uh, the, the UDL guidelines kind of show um, the three main principles that, that make up UDL, but they also get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, checkpoints that are related to different levels of sort of, right, like access uh, and internalization. Uh, so there's a lot there. If, if people are just beginning to um, sort of review what UDL is and what the guidelines are and what the principles are, um, CAST is actually great on their website. They have like multiple different versions of that document. So if you want the tiny little seven point font that has the particular checkpoints, you can look at that version, but you can also look at the version that sort of has more general themes. And so if we're, if we're going the, the route of the general themes, um, uh, the, the three principles are people might've heard before, multiple means of engagement, multiple means of representation and multiple means of action and expression. And um, typically when I'm sharing these in a very attempt at a very UDL fashion, you know, I have a, a little visual illustration for each of the three. We all in a workshop, will do a little gesture together that represents each one of those three. Um, so on this, on this sort of audio only format, I'm sort of limited in, in how I, I, I typically kind of offer these, but, but if we do kind of do a little rundown of each one, um, multiple means of representation, Again, thinking about how students have variability across them, right? It recognizes that students vary in how they perceive information that teachers present. So they're going to like, right, connect with and process um, sort of instruction differently. And so the charge for teachers is to offer multiple different options to receive and process that information. So um, I gave an example earlier, right? The plate tectonics one, like, Visuals are great. Have a visual up there of the three different kinds of uh, sort of interactions uh, that 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 um, that that plate tectonics go through or have. Mm -hmm. But why not also do a gesture? Why not also have sort of a linguistic way of trying to remember the difference between the three? Um, have students sort of like move themselves and act it out so they can sort of use their their bodies to to kind of you know um, like lock in that that learning as well. And that's all about representation, multiple means of representation. Um, multiple means of action and expression uh, takes our knowledge of how students vary in how they best express what they know and what they've learned. That uh, charges teachers with offering different options to allow students to communicate and share their learning in different ways. Um, and so, right earlier we talked about, sure, write a report, 
or take this quiz, or maybe it's a slide deck, or maybe it's a performance um, that demonstrates these, these, these concepts. Um, all of those are right under the um, uh, careful design so that students aren't just getting up and doing an interpretive dance and saying, what, that's plate tectonics, right? right. That's not what we mean. And sometimes <laughs> I think UDL gets a bad rap because it's like, oh, you just want kids to, um, you know, do modern dance and that counts Get as their final exam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, th there are ways to have students express what they know as long as it, right, aligns with yeah. your rubric of how a student can demonstrate that they've learned the content, right? So there are way creative ways to do it that still fall within, um, you know, clear, um, ways that teachers feel like they, they can accurately assess what students have learned. Yeah, I think um, that one of the great challenges in that is, you know, from the teacher perspective, you need to be crystal clear about your mm -hmm. success criteria about, you know, what are, mm -hmm. what are students supposed to know and be able to do at the end of this? And, yes. you know, it doesn't have to be a writing assignment if uh, the standard is not calling you know, specifically for writing as the the way that you're d demonstrating your competency. So I think exactly. that's where it can be a challenge. If you're not like crystal clear around what you're trying to accomplish and what the kids are supposed to know and be able to do, it, then mm -hmm. it makes it harder to be intentional about offering those different ways for them to express what they learned. And, and so, yeah, yeah, that's big. And that, that that's, let's again, just be honest that this is new and different and therefore kind of harder work, at least initially, that if you're used to have a final exam at the end of my history unit and students answer these multiple choice questions and then write an essay and we're encouraging people to think, well, what about those kids for whom writing is not the best way to express what they know? They know the content, you know they know the content because of how they participated in class discussions right. or whatever it might've been. But when it comes time to write the essay, organizing it or the time management piece, whatever it might be, is going to be the barrier that prevents them from demonstrating that knowledge. So to create clear other options for students does take some work. It takes some thinking. It's There's no way around it. There are ways to do it. And once I think people get into a groove of learning, oh, okay, it can look like this or this. And like you said, being really clear of like, here's what counts as demonstrating your learning. Um, it, it it really is possible and it really can open doors for students to 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 um you know not just earn grades but like feel confident to share what they've learned in ways that they might not have before um but you're absolutely right that you have to be really clear on what your goals are um yeah. in order to do that work so something i love that you talked about earlier is that um you know it it is difficult up front and it is, it is hard to change and to, and to think of things in this this new and different way. But yeah, uh, it, it really ties in with something else that I really loved is, you know, people throw around teacher efficacy and collective teacher efficacy all the time. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of the research on that was done here in Columbus at the Ohio State University. And um, when I looked into a lot of the research, what I found was, you know, there were four components that made up that total effect where you know you had high teacher or collective teacher efficacy and i can never remember three of the four because they're not like 25 percent each it was uh -huh. like three of them were you know 20 percent, and one of them was 80 percent. and uh -huh. that that 80 percent one that makes up the the biggest part of the effect is mastery experience and mm. it's it's the feeling that you have as a teacher where you 
you pur were purposeful in something and you used your skills and your knowledge to develop something and then you did it and then it worked and, and you, you got the outcomes that you wanted. Yeah. And so as people dig into this, it really becomes easier, not just in the technical part of like applying the, the guidelines to your lessons and doing things like that, but in the, you see the benefit that it has, you see the higher levels of engagement, you see students, um, overcoming obstacles and becoming expert learner. And that builds up your, your positivity and your feeling about you as a practitioner and about, you know, as a, as a teacher. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's where the real teacher efficacy in the, in the collective from the group, if you're doing this, you know, in the whole building come from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, I uh, coach and consult in, in schools um, around New York city and, yeah, country and, and world, but um, a lot in New York City. And I was working with a high school teacher uh, last year who had this great um, assessment for a unit um, in an English class. And there were basically like 10 options of what students could do that were going to put together sort of like a, like a mini portfolio. And they could they had to choose six of these 10 options, which already is terrific. I loved it, um, that including that, you know, that element of choice. Um, but she came to talk to me about like, oh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop a scaffold for each one. And maybe there are sentence starters and maybe it's a little graphic organizer so that like, you know, each of these 10 have their own kind of support built in. Um, and she wanted some help thinking through what those scaffolds could look like. And I was I was happy to help her think through that. Um, and then uh, as we were wrapping up, she was like, so last question, um, who do I, how do I figure out which kids to give these to? And I just, I took a beat, you know, gave her a minute. She's like, oh, wait. And, and we've been doing some work in UDL in her school. And she's like, you're going to tell me to just offer them to everyone, huh? And I was like, well, yeah. what would you think about that? And she's like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, why not? And if kids don't need it, they're not going to use it. And if kids are feeling really inspired by this one of the 10, they're not going to need the graphic organizer, but like, but why not have that be a support? And I saw her in the hall the following week. And I was you know, quickly in passing with a bunch of teenagers all in front of us in these narrow hallways. And I was like, how, how the, how the, you know, 10 things go, how the supports go. And she's like, great, never doing it differently again. You know, just called across me. Like, like yeah. she's got it. She's like, that changed how she, she was already doing great work, but there was something about like thinking of it through UDL lens, giving the options to students that um, she's like, yep, now this is how I'm going to not only do this unit next year, but probably like the thought I'm going to put into, um, you know, units, and assessments going forward. Yeah, I, I love um, that so much. Yeah, Eric, you know, it, it occurs to me we have are having a great conversation that's going in multiple directions. But I, I um, would be remiss if I didn't name the third principle um, yeah. of UDL that we didn't get to yet, which is multiple means of engagement. Um, just for folks who are like tallying at home, um, <laughs> don't want to miss so, that one. Yeah, yeah. So, so multiple means of engagement. I, I referred to earlier when talking about right, like the you use a pond example, frozen pond example, or the people on the subway example. But what that, that comes from is um, a recognition and a variability in how students engage with one another, how students engage with the content, what they sort of bring from their own lives to the school experience and to the content. And so it really encourages teachers to think about um, ways to offer options for students to connect to their learning and connect to one another in the process. Um, and so a big part of that is you were mentioning like ways to collaborate and make sure there's like, you know, choice in who you work with and in what way you work and structuring those, those options for students. But it also really does have um, to do with 
students feeling like they belong in the classroom, like their you know lives and their experiences matter and are important not only to the class community but to the the learning that's going on, um, and so that teachers can make uh, create choices for students in topics to whatever extent there's an ability to have flexibility in topics and materials and in, in again groupings um, so that students can find their way to engage with the material uh, in a way that works for them. I love that. And and what you just said there kind of brings me to uh, your workshop. So, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things that's been a challenge, I think, is helping people to bridge the connection between the guidelines, the resources that are out there, all of the learning they have to mm. actually put this in teachers' hands in a way that will help them really get this into the classroom and start getting better outcomes for kids. So you're coming to State Support Team 11 on March 11th to do a workshop about lesson planning with UDL. Can you uh, tell us who the target audience for that is and what the participants can expect? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited uh, about it too. Um, and I, I didn't I didn't realize until just now that we have this 11-11 connection, uh, March 11th with State Support Team 11. But uh, I mean, it's it's going to be a group of, of of teachers, people in the classroom, do, doing the work, and again that that want um, to know what can I do differently, um, practically, to to make real differences for for my students, and so. Uh, people who come can expect us to really be walking the walk. You know, we're we're going to be um, experiencing ourselves as adult learners how a UDL UDL approach really feels, what what it's like. It's very much built into the the design of of, of the workshop itself, um, and sort of doing the work to make that connection between. Okay, we just experienced this as a group of grownups in a workshop space. How does this translate to? Um, how you think differently about the questions you pose, how you offer choices, how you represent new content um, to the students in your classroom. And so, you know, choice is going to be built into all activities because that's fundamental to UDL um, from a choice of the icebreaker to, you know, a choice in lesson planning templates. Um, all the concepts that we explore together are going to be taught and shown in multiple different ways. I mentioned like visual and auditory and, and movement and story and all those kinds of ways. Um, and we like, we were just talking about engagement is really, really central that um, make, I'm going to make sure that participants, you know, enjoy the time. Yes. But it's not just like a dog and pony show. It's, it's about having meaningful ways to like connect with one another, to process the content, to connect to the experience, to have it feel really relevant to them. Um, and, as you just said, you know, taking on UDL can be a lot of work and people may have heard of it before or been to a workshop before or seen the, the guidelines online before. And, and what I sort of charge myself with anytime I work with teachers is to do the work of making sure that what I call the, the M&Ms of inclusive education are made very clear and connected. And the M&Ms for me are method and mindset. So like, we're going to have method. We're going to have the stuff, the strategies, the practices. Uh, you're going to, you know, leave there having an idea of what to do or something in your hand you will do differently the next day. But it's going to be grounded in the in the mindset. It's going to be grounded in the approach, the philosophy, the thinking work that is not just about like a new neat trick you can use, but is a, a way to at least begin that sort of shift in in thinking about what this work is and how we how we plan instruction differently. Um, and I'm actually really 
excited too, not just for the workshop itself and what's going to happen at the workshop, but actually after the workshop, because we've arranged to have the participants be able to um, have uh, regular follow-up emails with sort of like doable next steps to check in. So this isn't just a one and done. I went, that was fun one day and I've, I'm back to my new normal. We'll hopefully like keep it fresh and, and inspire some new ideas and also give folks the opportunity to um, uh, receive a certificate of implementation. So folks really want to dig in and, and submit like a UDL aligned practice that they've, they've tried out. They'll get some feedback from me about ways to maybe you know, reconsider or or strengthen the design of that of that support of that approach or that lesson, uh, and then resubmit it for their for their official certificate of implementation. So hopefully that'll be a nice thread to keep this work, you know, alive and in people's minds and 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 make it really practical for folks uh, after the workshop as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I think this is going to be a, a great day and just a really good use of people's time. So. If people would like to know more about you and the work that you do, where should they go? Yeah, um, you can basically search my name most places. Um, my website is aaronlanew.com. I'm Aaron Lanou on LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm at Aaron Lanou. So if you uh, if you Google my name, one of those things might pop up in whichever you know platform you're most interested in using. Um, we can connect that way. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Aaron. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Eric, and really looking forward to the 11th. Me too. Well, that wraps up this episode of the State Support Team 11 podcast. If you'd like to know more about us and the work that we do here at SST 11, go to our website, sst11.org. Give us a call at 614-753-4694, or hit us up on Twitter. We're at SSTregion11. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm at erica.neal at escco.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.